0: This is the Sunday in which the church traditionally considers the baptism of Jesus at the outset of his public ministry, that moment of Jesus's divine commissioning as the Messiah, uh, as the Son of God. And this is what we read about in Matthew chapter 3, and this is the first encounter with Jesus after his birth, which of course has been the theme of the season of Christmastide as we've just come out of and at this point in matthew's gospel our expectations are high Um, the genealogy encourages us to see jesus as the fulfillment of the great hopes of israel for a worldwide inheritance for an eternal kingdom for a new creation the birth narrative in matthew's gospel tells us that jesus is emmanuel god with us and it's in that brief narrative that Jesus is given the name Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. For he will save his people, Matthew says, from their sins. And then John the Baptist is busy in the wilderness, a, a section we looked at in the season of Advent, uh, building up the ministry of Jesus that is to come. He will baptize, John says, with the spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork will be in his hand. It's quite the build-up. Quite the high expectations. And this is, if you will, uh, this is Jesus's Tom Brady moment. Uh, it's time for him to run down the tunnel this Saturday night, burst through an Israel winds banner, and emerge to a raucous crowd of his supporters and onlookers, cheering him on as he leads his team to victory. But that's far from what we get in this first little vignette of the ministry of Jesus. Rather than running down the tunnel out onto the field, Jesus shows up on the upper deck in a hoodie with a hot dog in his hands and a Patriot sign and sits down in the crowd right next to you. John's protest is a bit like what you might say to Tom Brady if that actually happened to you and you were at Gillette Stadium this Saturday night. Hey, wait, aren't you in the wrong place? Get that hot dog out of your hand, get down on the field and do your job. We need you down there and not up here. And that's kind of what John is saying to Jesus. No, 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 no. Not you under my baptism. If anything, Jesus, I need to be baptized by you. But look at what Jesus says to John in verse 15. He says, Let it be so now, John, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. This is how my work as the Messiah is to be done. Righteousness is a life of obedience that accomplishes God's perfect and good will. And what Jesus is saying to John the Baptist, and John doesn't really get it, though he does yield to Jesus in this moment is that for all righteousness to be fulfilled, in other words, for all of God's purposes to be accomplished through him as the Messiah, this is how it must be. This is what needs to take place. I, Jesus said, I need to be baptized by you. Yeah, that leaves a lot of questions about how he's going to get down on the field and leave the, lead the team to victory, but those will be answered in due time throughout the course of Matthew's narrative. And yet, the seed, the germ, the little start of that answer is seen right here in the opening scene of Jesus' adult ministry. How will God's purposes be fulfilled through this one who has come? Through the solidarity of Jesus. Jesus. God's Messiah with the people. Hang with me for a moment. The identity of Jesus here is not in question. In fact, it's reaffirmed strongly in this opening account at the baptism. Jesus is the Messiah. So this passage ends in verse 17 with a voice from heaven after Jesus comes up out of the water with the spirit of god descends like a dove and rests on him and the voice from heaven says this is my beloved son or this is my son my beloved one with whom i am well pleased this divine voice calls jesus his beloved one his son and this harkens back to the reality that israel is god's firstborn son exodus 422 And then to the promised Davidic heir, the heir of David's throne that had been promised to be a throne that would last for all time. God says of that heir in verse uh, 14 of 2 Samuel 7, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. The promised king, the Messiah, is called God's son in Psalm 2 verse 7. And all of this is invoked regarding Jesus's identity here at his baptism. He is the son of God, meaning he is Israel's Messiah. He's the one, he's the true Davidic heir who has come to set his people free and to establish and inaugurate the final purposes of God. That's who he is. This is seen clearly that he is the Messiah in a second way in this text as well. In the verse, right before verse 17, verse 16, when we see the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Here's how we, what we read of the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 11, a passage we looked at in Advent. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And it goes on about the spirit, the spirit, the spirit. And this is being fulfilled here in Jesus as he sets out on his public ministry. This will be a ministry enabled and empowered by the very spirit of God to accomplish the renewing and saving work of God. As we read from Isaiah 42, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. This servant passage, Isaiah 42, is very clearly alluded to right here and is present here in Matthew chapter 3. And what it says about the ministry of the Spirit, anointed one, the servant, who is equated now with the Messiah, is that he will bring forth justice to the nations. This is who he is. And yet, he doesn't run down the tunnel, he doesn't burst on the field. He goes under the baptism of John. He submits to the ministry of of John he instead of taking the higher place think about this right at the beginning he takes the lower place and in so doing shows us that the means by which the justice to the nations that he has come to bring the means by which the new creation that he has come to inaugurate the means by which the eternal kingdom that he has come to lead and to set up is going to take are, are going to happen is through his solidarity with God's son, the people of Israel, who are the fulfillment of God's original son, Adam. It's by his solidarity, he says to John, that all of this will come to pass. Now, John doesn't get it, of course. John still doesn't get it, even later in chapter 11 of Matthew's gospel, when he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the one who was to come? Because I'm not seeing... You know, the baptism of fire and the spirit and the winnowing fork in your hands. I'm not seeing that clearly. And of course, at that point in the ministry, it hadn't yet become abundantly clear. This is what I want to reflect on for a few minutes, the solidarity of the Messiah with the people in his messianic vocation. How is there solidarity between Jesus and us? Well, we've celebrated... For 12 days, I hope you celebrated for the entire 12 days, the reality of the incarnation. The first place we see the solidarity of the Messiah is in the fact of his birth, that he takes on human flesh, that the eternal Word has come to inhabit the very stuff of creation that you and I suffer with and rejoice with every day. There's solidarity in his hope. The baptism of John was for those in Israel. They were coming out from Jerusalem and Judea to be baptized by John to signify their penitence and to signify their hope in the renewal of God that he was coming to make things new. And Jesus's hope is exactly the same. That God would come and make all things new. And so his undergoing this baptism signifies that he's in solidarity with Israel end with us in our hope. Solidarity in the means. What does Jesus say in John 4? He says, My food is what? To do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. How would this great hope come about? The only means that that Israel had been given was a life of obedience in faith to their God. And Jesus Takes up that same vocation now as the truly, the true Israelite, the Messiah, the representative of the people, and says that his path is also this path of obedience. There's a solidarity with the people in his temptations. Hebrews 4, which plays on this theme of solidarity throughout the book of Hebrews, says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And where does Jesus go if you keep reading in Matthew's gospel? The next place, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Do you feel temptation in your life? Last week, last night? Jesus has been there. There's solidarity with us in our temptations. Solidarity with us in suffering and injustice, as a victim of injustice. As we watch the life and vocation of Jesus move out from this point and begin to reach its climax at the cross, Jesus undergoes tremendous ridicule, betrayal, false trial, abuse, beating, mockery, unjustly so. Pain. The things that make our lives sometimes so difficult, so hard to walk through, so hard to get up the next day. There's nothing that you can face where you can't also say that Jesus knows what you're going through, that he's walked those steps before you. For because he himself, Hebrews says, has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Solidarity at so many levels with us. And then this greatest level of solidarity of sin and death. It's interesting that in this text, again, we're we're echoing back to Isaiah 42 and the servant of Isaiah. And if we carry that forward into the fourth servant song of Isaiah 53, the one that we know well, we see the solidarity of this innocent one with us in our sin and in death. Only when we are subject to sin and death, we are subject rightly so. We are insiders. We're complicit in the reality of sin and evil in the world. Jesus shows his solidarity with us as a complete outsider. He is the innocent one, wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. He's borne our griefs Carried our sorrows. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Solidarity. Jesus is saying to John, that's how I'm going to do it that's how I'm going to win the victory. That's how I'm going to accomplish this vocation. That's how I'm going to bring about the great hope and make it a reality, is by my union with you. Let me come under your baptism. Let me take this lower place. Let me identify with my people that I've come to save. And because of that kind of solidarity, then there is solidarity with him in life as well. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Or in Colossians 3, when he says, for Christ who is your life, when he appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Because the Messiah came and accomplished his vocation by solidarity with us, it means that what is true of him may now be true of us. Because what was true of us became what he bore. As the servant, as the son, who suffered on our behalf so that we might live with him. John couldn't see it at the outset. We get to see it and behold it. And a few ways to respond to this kind of solidarity are, are this, as I close. First, just an overwhelming sense of awe and wonder and gratitude that God would do it in this way. That God, in the person of his Son, would show a solidarity with us in all things, and especially In taking upon himself our sin and death so that we might take upon ourselves his life is amazing and wonderful and something that leads us to praise and to celebration as the people of God a second way of thinking about this is if you find that God seems distant inaccessible unreachable. I want you to think back and remember that he was baptized by John the Baptist. And in remembering that, I want you to remember that he came and got in your shoes. He sat down next to you. He walked the paths that you've walked. He experienced the temptations that you've experienced. He went through the kinds of sufferings that you suffer. And he encountered the kind of death, no, a far greater death than you or I will ever encounter. He's been there. He's walked there. He's gone there. And he can identify with you and relate to you and understand you and draw near to you and comfort you and encourage you as you walk through those same paths today. Thanks be to God for his solidarity. There is no place that's too forsaken that Jesus is not there and that Jesus does not know what it's like to be there. That's a tremendous encouragement to us. The Messiah accomplishes his great work through solidarity with you and me. Yes, in the greatest sense at the cross, but also in the trenches of human everyday experience and in the extremes of human experience. He's there. And you're not alone. And the last thing, in terms of applying this reality of his solidarity with us, is to recognize that we now share this same path, this same vocation. That God's righteousness, God's justice, God's purposes will be fulfilled and are being fulfilled. Remember Jesus' words to John the Baptist that we might fulfill all righteousness as we, the in Christ ones, the body of Christ, the spirit-indwelled people of God, show solidarity with our neighbor, with others. With the stranger, with the alien, with the orphan, with the widow, with the refugee. In particular, the thrust of the biblical witness is as we show solidarity with the poor and the victims of injustice around the world, as we do that, God's righteousness, God's justice becomes a more present, expressed reality than it was before. His solidarity with us leads to our call to solidarity with others. That's what love ultimately is. And that's what we're called to. And I would submit to you that at least in kernel form, that call is one of the reasons that Jesus begins his ministry by coming to John and saying, no, 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 I will be baptized by you. I want to identify with my people. I want to draw near to my people. I want to be solidified with them, to know their pains and sorrows and fears and temptations and sufferings, and ultimately, to bear their sin and shame and guilt. Because that's what love does. In order to bring about justice and righteousness and to make right every wrong, which is what God accomplishes on the cross. Jesus says if you want to be great, be last. If you want to be first, Be the servant and the slave. As he undergoes the baptism of John, he's telling us that in an an, an enacted way. And it's an amazing gift that he's done that for us. So we can praise him. So in any and every circumstance, we can relate to him. And so we can imitate him and show solidarity with our world. Amen.